It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Of course, a big thank you to Governor Glenn Youngkin for spending his morning with Bloomberg. Good morning. It's great to be with you. And I have to say on on December the 11th, uh, as we head through a busy holiday season, uh, we're hoping that people are shopping. We're hoping the economy is roaring. In Virginia, uh, shopping. No place better to be than Bloomberg. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, I want to start with the most pressing issues facing Virginians. You're just off the heel of this election. The Democratic Party now has control of the General Assembly. You're gearing up for a trickier budget fight now. And you recently talked about one of your main concerns going into all of this is the cost of living in Virginia. You're talking about shopping. So how are you thinking about addressing these critical economic concerns for Virginians in this divided government? So we've had divided government in Virginia the last two years. Uh, it's a little bit more divided now than it was. Uh, and I look back on uh, the elections in November, and they were incredibly tight. We knew it going in. Uh, there had been redistricting, and the redistricting had worked a little bit against us. And these races were divided by hundreds and 500 votes. And and so we go in one seat down uh, in our House. We picked up a seat in our Senate, but we're still one seat down in our Senate. Uh, and it's going to be the very same kind of work that we did over the last two years, which is how do we bring people together around common sense solutions to pressing issues? And, and we know the most pressing issues today are ones of economic conf- confidence um, and really the challenges of rising cost of living. And it's just clear over the course of uh, now the last three years of the Biden economy, we have seen inflation really run away from a lot of folks. And 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And I hear it. Um, I travel around a lot in Virginia. It's one of my big commitments is to get out of Richmond. And what I constantly hear are concerns about the cost of living uh, and is my job safe. Um, and so we are moving into this legislative cycle try, trying to advance, and I believe we will, the exact same formulas that we brought when we first came in, which is how do we take Virginia, which, come, which was coming out of the pandemic when, when uh, I was elected in 2021 and took office in 2022, bottom third in the nation in job growth, um, with real concerns with population uh, uh, out-migration, where for nine straight years, more people had moved away to the other 49 states than to Virginia. And how do we turn that so that Virginia can be one of the winning states as opposed to one of the losing states? And there's a clear reality that there are states around the nation that are winning and there are states that are losing. And the states that are winning have very clear, similar policies of lower taxes and streamlined regulations for pro-business environments, uh, right to work. Uh, and a real recognition that we have to create opportunity so that Virginians, in this case, can fully participate. Those are the things that we're going to progress to continue to work to bring down the cost of living with 
I think some really um, uh, innovative ways to bring taxes down. I think we're going to work hard to make sure that we bring up workforce participation even further. We, we've just hit a 12-year high in workforce participation, but we know we need more Virginians working. And so that's why last week we rolled out, I think, a very important initiative on child care uh, in order to provide working families confidence uh, that they can have safe and reliable child care for their kids. Uh, when we when we speak to women and we see survey after survey, the, the one of the top issues in whether they've come back to work or not coming out of the pandemic is reliable child care. And so I'm very excited about our building blocks for Virginia program, um, which is really going to work to increase the opportunity for Virginians to find child care alternatives. All of this translates into just a recognition that we're competing every day. We're competing for jobs. We're competing for people. And we're competing for opportunity. And uh, the last two years, I think we've demonstrated we compete well. We have 230,000 more people working today than when we started. We started bottom third of job growth. And over the last 22 months, we've moved to number three in the nation in job growth. We can do this. We just have to continue to do the things that we've been doing. You also have a very low unemployment rate in Virginia. We do. 2.8%. Last week's jobs report was 3.7% nationally. So we have a very good job market in the United States. Yet you met with business leaders recently, and you came out of that meeting saying they see a mild recession ahead. How can we have a mild recession with this kind of labor market? Well, first of all, it's because we don't have one economy in the United States. Um, We really have two. Uh, We have economy of winners and an economy, unfortunately, of losers. And like all businesses, and when when I was in the business world for 30 years, if you had multiple outlets for a retailer. Um, you would have some of your outlets that were doing really well and some of them weren't, that weren't doing very well. And yet the aggregate of that represents your performance. Well, the United States is the exact same. And we have many states that are doing very well and other states that are doing poorly. And the reality, of course, is that, as I said earlier, it is the policies that are driving this. Let me just give you an example. Um, over the last four years, since before the pandemic, there's been about two and a half million jobs created in America uh, up, in, up through October. Um, ten states, ten states account for three million of those two and a half million jobs. And ten other states have lost a million jobs during that time period. And by the way, the winning states are the bigger states like Florida and, and Texas. Virginia has added, as I said, 230,000 jobs since we came in. And the states that have been losing jobs truly are the ones that we hear about all the time. California, Illinois, New York. I mean, they've had negative job growth since before the pandemic. Um, This is just a stark reality of the tale of two cities of the American economy. And so there are parts of our American economy that are already in recession. Um, The the, the real estate development side of things um, is already in recession. We've seen it pull back materially. And so these fears of recession, I think, um, are well-grounded. And I believe that there's real risk next year in a recession. We have a strong job market um, across uh, many of these uh, states really led by Republicans. The top 10 states in unemployment are led by Republicans. Um, And by the way, the bottom 10 states, nine out of the 10 of them are led by Democrats. I mean, this is just real. But I think our next year or two of national economic opportunity is going to be defined by a lot of these most important issues. One, what's happening internationally? And I think we have got more black, uh, black swan risk uh, internationally than we've seen in a long time. A war in Israel, a war in Ukraine, 
uh, saber rattling like we have never seen in ch with China towards Taiwan. Um, we are seeing massive, massive ch challenges with regards to national security around the border and how we handle this this um, just absolute absolute crisis and drug flow and and illegal illegal immigration and how and how we're responding to the pressures that it's placing on all of our cities. And yes, we're seeing interest rates that while I believe the market is hoping that these come down next year, um, hope is not a strategy. And in fact, there's a big difference between markets and the economy. And in this case, I think interest rates will be higher for longer. I think it has a, 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 a massive so effect. So you don't think the Fed will cut next year? I, I think that when we, the Fed will cut when we have a recession. <laughs> and this is the reality of a mild recession that I expect that we will see next year. We're building it into Virginia's plans. Um, and then finally, we've got a real challenge around uh, reaching a budget agreement. And while there have been um, two postponements of this real debate, uh, come January and February, we'll have it again. And I think that there's just a, a reality of there's, there's uh, a lot of distance between uh, agreeing here. And so those factors uh, all suggest to me that we do have risk of a recession. I hope we don't have one. We continue in Virginia to drive things that, that, that are expansive in policy so that we can have more jobs. But at the end of the day, I think that uh, in Virginia, I know this, we are planning for a mild recession next year. I'm going to make sure that we're prepared. Uh, and if we don't have one, then Virginians will be a lot better off. You talked about these citizens leaving blue cities and blue states going to red states. You talked about that you're still dealing with inflation caused, I think, in your view, by the Biden administration. Yet Republicans keep losing key elections. The Democrats won the General Assembly in Virginia. The Democrats won in Ohio. A Democrat governor won in Kentucky. Deep red. Well, he in was, just, he was just, an incumbent. <laughs> in, in, in just this round, though, but also there was the midterm election. Everyone thought we were going to see a red wave, and we didn't. Why is that? Well, let me, let me back up. So, f first of all, I, I, I would also add that there's now a new Republican governor in Louisiana. There was a new Republican governor last year in Nevada, and the year before there was a new Republican governor in Virginia. Um, and so there, there really has been, I think, this centering uh, around uh, elections where we're seeing in purple states like Virginia this push and pull. And Virginia, I think, is very representative of the nation where we are seeing uh, the redistricting have an impact, but on top of that, very, very tight elections year after year after year. And I think this is representative of America. And it's our job as Republicans, I think, to really cast a vision about how we are going to move forward and build a, a, an economic opportunity zone for Virginia and for America. And I think this is our key job. And I, I believe at points we haven't done a great job doing that. And therefore, that's, that's why I spent most of my time on our campaign and I, as governor, very clearly articulating what we want to do um, and far less time on platitudes and far more time on specifics. And I think voters, voters are smart. They want to know specifics. What are you going to do and does it make sense to me that it's going to work? And in this context, I think that common sense consistently prevails and I think voters want to understand how actions are going to translate into results. And we see it. And I'm going to go back to my, to my winning states and losing states. Uh, 
people understand that if you have high taxes, you're going to have less of your money that you've worked hard for, and therefore you're going to move someplace where you have a, a lower tax environment. And, and just last week, California announced that they had a $68 billion deficit. And in fact, the scuttlebutt behind it is that they, are, they have less tax receipts. Well, that is not surprising, given the fact that they have been one of the top states in out-migration, where people are moving other places. Um, th this is just real stuff. And so that's why when I, when I um, am very clearly articulating why we need to r rationalize our tax policy in Virginia, why we need to reduce the cost of living, why we need to increase job opportunity, we need to, sh we need to make sure our education footprint is the best in the nation, why we have to focus on workforce development and training people for the jobs of the future, and why we need to make our neighborhoods safe. This combination of, of policies and actions results in a better Virginia. And when there's a better Virginia, jobs come and people come. You're sensing another governor's debate maybe instead of DeSantis versus you and Gavin Newsom, since you seem to like to uh, well, I, put your I, policies up against <clears throat> California. I, I, but I believe it. we don't have to just pick on California. We can pick on New York. We can say the same thing about Illinois. Uh, I'll go back to what I said, which is, which is pick the metric. Unemployment, population movement, job growth, and states that have common sense policies that really recognize that lowering costs, lowering taxes, having business-friendly environments work, and the others don't. And in a world where we have the ability to move, businesses have the ability to decide where their next investment is going, they're choosing states that, in fact, long-term provide the best opportunities. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Abortion played a big role in the Virginia elections, as these others that happened in November. And you were specific about what you wanted to do, a 15-week limit. Was this a mistake? No, it was not a mistake. Uh, I firmly believe that one of the challenges that uh, we have had as Republicans is we haven't been clear on what we're going to do. And I believe that we can be clear and we can find a reasonable place to land in what is one of the most difficult topics in America, truly one of the most difficult topics in America. And by not being clear on where, where we are, would like to go, we allow the Democrats to define us. And I think this is a, a very important time for Republicans to be clear. The, the abortion topic in Virginia has, has been one that's been discussed for a long time. Uh, and there was an effort by the progressive left to, 
to adopt bills that would extend abortion all the way up through and including birth. Uh, and Virginians rejected that. And so we wanted to be very clear that we felt like we had a reasonable position, a place where a baby scientifically has been shown to, to feel pain, uh, a place that Virginians can come together around a policy that is accepted around the world. It's, it's kind of the European standard. Um, and then finally, a place where we can be very clear that this is what we will do. The challenge in our election, in my view, was was one, we, we were fighting an uphill battle and redistricting just from an absolute number standpoint. And the other side spent $40 million telling everyone that we were going to ban abortion, arrest doctors, arrest mothers, and we had no exceptions. Um, those were all uh, fabricated untruths. And our, we spent about $4 million um, expressing the fact that we believed that there should be a limit at 15 weeks that we believed in, in exceptions in the case of rape and incest and when the mother's life is at risk. And in all candor, I, I believe that the, the $40 million of untruths penetrated deeper than $4 million of You think clarity. you lost, like, the media war, an advertising? we lost the media war. I do believe also, though, that um, had we not done what we did, um, the election results would have been um, even, even more skewed towards the Democrats. I mean, these races were incredibly tight. I mean, at the end of the day, in one county, uh, there was 1,000 votes that went one way, actually 1,100 that went one way, and if it had gone the other way, we would have, we would have flipped the Senate and we would, have, we would have tied the House. The flip side is we won a race uh, by less than 70 votes. And so these were incredibly tight races all across the Commonwealth. And that's why I go back to my earlier comment. I think Virginia is very reflective of the nation, deeply purple. Um, willing to engage in deep conversations about the most important topics and demanding from candidates and their elected leaders explanations about why we're doing what we're doing and then allowing them to make decisions. I, I think this has to be the, at least the future of, of my approach uh, to uh, being a Republican, which is I'm going to explain why we're doing it, how we're going to do it, and why it should result in good outcomes. And I think that voters deserve that. Um, whether it's purple Virginia or red Ohio, Kentucky, as I mentioned, this does get people out to vote, though. Do you think that it's such a moral position that Republicans should stand by it? Or because it loses elections, whether or not you're saying it's lies in the media, but it gets people out to vote and it loses for Republicans, is it something that they need to adopt a more liberal stance? I mean, Pew Research says 62% of Americans want to make sure that they have access to abortion, and they don't want it to be restricted. Well, that's why I've, I felt that a reasonable approach was one that protects life at 15 weeks. And uh, all of our polling and discussions suggested it's a place that Virginians could come around. Uh, and we, again, I think we were literally overwhelmed by untruths that were spread at a 10 to 1 ratio of, of explaining it. Meanwhile, we're talking about on top of an important and divisive topic like abortion. We were talking about economic growth and jobs and education and safe communities and, and this why Virginia is the number one issue. But it's economics. Seems, yeah, it seems that people yeah. still came out and voted. And there's a, there's a group in the middle in 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 deeply purple areas um, that this is a very important topic, and we should never never dismiss that. Um, and that's why we need to be clear. And I do believe there's a place we could come together as a nation. 
and find a place to land, a very, very difficult topic. And I'd encourage us to do so. Do you think it's important that the Republican nominee for president be clear? Because you see, if you watch the debates, it's all over the map. Yeah, I, as again, I, I, I firmly believe that the position that we took in Virginia was, was the right one. Uh, I do believe that we lost the media war. And it's one that uh, I think will continue to play out. And I will continue to, to express a hope that we can come together around a reasonable solution. Um, because there are so many important topics as well in, in growing jobs and opportunity and getting education to the point where we can provide an excellent education for all our kids. We can raise the ceiling and the floor and we can provide quality child care for families and we can make sure that we're taking care of our foster kids. And we, there are so many other topics that we need to make sure that we have great common sense solutions in order to drive forward uh, better lives. And I'm looking forward to that. And so that's why I do believe this is one of these topics that we've got to work to come together as a nation and, and move forward on. Abortion isn't the only social issue you've been very clear about. Uh, you've taken a stance on education. It's what many give you the reason why you won in 2021. You're very clear about that, as well as ESG. And I'm wondering what we're seeing, especially over the weekend with the University of Pennsylvania president resigning. Now there's tons of calls for the Harvard president to resign. Do you see a thread of what you took on on parents being more involved in children's lives and children's education? Is there a cultural issue that you see stemming up even to higher education? Well, the short answer is yes. Um, to, to unpack that a bit, um, at the heart of great education are parents being deeply engaged in their children's lives and empowered to do so and taking on the responsibility to do so with rights come responsibilities um, paired with extraordinary teaching. And we know that when we have parents deeply engaged in great teaching, children can thrive. And, and so that's where we have been focused, which is empowering parents and asking them to be deeply engaged and making sure that we're supporting an academic framework. We've had the largest education budgets in Virginia, the last two budgets I've signed, in the history of the state so that the resources flow uh, as needed. And we've had 12% pay increases for teachers in the last 18 months. I mean, this is really important. Um, it does translate also into what's happening in, in, on our campuses. And I think there's been a, re a real recognition that uh, our campuses have really begun, and it didn't just start recently, but it's been going for a while, to really suppress the whole purpose of a college campus. And that's to be able to express your views in a way that allows the sharing of perspective. Um, and what happened as a result over a number of years is that if you didn't go with the mainstream flow, um, you were ostracized. Um, oftentimes, you felt you felt canceled, and on top of that, you were worried that you were going to be penalized both in the classroom and socially. And in fact, all the data suggests that that um, we've got real challenges with regards to students feeling comfortable to express themselves. But there is an opposite side to this, which is uh, I will protect our I will protect our. First Amendment right uh, and, and until the day I die. And I actually swore in a Bible that I will protect and defend our Constitution. Um, but that doesn't mean you can say and do anything you want, particularly when you are espousing horrific hate speech and talking about literally annihilating an entire group of people. And this is wrong. And there has to be a very clear understanding that 
there's freedom of expression. But when it incites violence and encourages truly uh, 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 the annihilation of people, it has to stop. And we need to be clear on this. I, I believe that, yes, there's a role for judges and lawyers and in debating this, but there is a requirement for leaders to stand up and talk about what is right and what is wrong. And these, these college professors tried to suggest that there was some moment where you could justify, you could justify uh, extermination speech. There's no justification here. You went to Harvard Business School. Should Claudine Gay step aside? I, I do believe that there's a, there is uh, uh, a real justification for the Penn the pen, uh, president stepping down. And I believe the other two should come under the exact same scrutiny. What about there, state and federal funding to these universities? Well, again, I, I, I work mostly on state funding. Uh, I gathered up our university presidents two weeks ago, and we had a symposium on free speech on campus with all of our university leaders, both public and private. We talked specifically about the culture on campuses and the fact that, that nearly 50% of students on campuses today think that it is appropriate to interrupt a speaker that they disagree with. Um, a huge number of students think that it's appropriate to use physical physical violence to keep people from going to see a speaker they disagree with. I mean, this is an, this is an absolute cultural moment for us, which is to step forward and say, wait a minute, there are bright lines on how we behave. There are bright lines about how we express ourselves. And we will absolutely defend our constitutional rights um, every day. But there is, a, there is a tipping point, and we have to be clear on where that tipping point is. And extermination speech is clearly on the wrong side of that tipping point. All right. I want to also ask, ask you about ESG. Um, these are the type of quotes coming out of corporate America today. We believe strong ESG competencies are hallmarks of management excellence. It was signed by Glenn Youngkin, then co-CEO of Carlisle, before you stepped down in 2020. You at one point did promote ESG. I've read through your impact funds before. Yet, you don't want to promote it from the governor's mansion, but you would from the corporate boardroom. Why is that? Well, first of all, I, I, I think that you are uh, comparing two different times where ESG has migrated totally out of bounds. So you think it's gone too far? Oh, it's gone way too far. But it um, has a place. I mean, there is, there is, there is no argument that, that promoting environmental responsibility, which is the E, <laughs> and promoting social responsibility, which is the S, and promoting good, transparent governance, which is the G, are good things. And of course, what we see is good organizations that embrace those topics over long years did well. They did better than those that didn't. What of course happened was it became a religion, and it took, it took these basic concepts and said, if you don't do the most extreme version of all of them, then we, in fact, are going to cancel you. And this has gotten so out of control. There is, there is an appropriate place here, a reasonable place, a common sense place that embraces the reality that there is not just an economic return to being engaged in quality environmental policy, and not that there is not just a transparency benefit to good governance, and not that there's uh, just a, uh, a, a benefit of being engaged in your community, um, but these things combine together to make good, corp good organizations. It went so far out of bounds 
And we've got to get it back into the realm of reasonableness. This is where we, where we are fighting on so many fronts. Things, things got so extreme. And let's bring them back to reasonableness. Let's have college campuses that actually debate both sides of issues in the classroom. Let's have professors that actually become professors as opposed to those that are trying to impart their view on all their children or all the students. Let's make sure that we, in fact, have college campuses where, yes, we, we encourage the First Amendment right, but we don't allow, we don't allow extermination speech. Let's make sure that we have quality ESG proposals that do embrace the reality of an economic benefit of these things without canceling and literally trying, trying to drive a political agenda. Let's make sure we have reasonable energy policies. I mean, there's a reality in energy, which, which we've got to embrace, which is we can't begin to fund every offshore wind project on the planet because what we're seeing is 10 of them have already begun to fail or failed in the, in, in the East Coast because they're economically unviable. We need natural gas. We need wind and solar. We need nuclear. We need carbon capture. We, we're going we're gonna to need hydrogen. We need all of the above in order to have a secure and reliable and, yes, increasingly clean energy future. This is all about common sense. And when we see things move so far out of bounds that we can't even begin to explain why things are being done, we know we have violated the common sense rule. And let's get back into the land of reality and out of the land of unreality. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. So as a business executive, you had to confront investors, confront management. As a governor, you have to confront voters head on. You know what it takes to be an executive of a huge company to govern a state. We see three other governors on stage potentially be the nominee for your party, Christie, DeSantis, and Haley. Yet the potential man is someone who's talking about being a dictator for the day, um, lost in 2020, and will be older than Joe Biden was on his inauguration day. Do you think it's time for someone new for next year? So Americans will decide this. This is what everyone and, also is waiting for me to no, ask you. So. Americans, <laughs> Americans will decide this. Um, and I have said I'm, um, I want Virginians to decide who our nominee is. Uh, I firmly believe that America cannot, cannot withstand another four years of, of a Biden presidency. And what we see today are the real ramifications of bad leadership. But it looks like Trump's, potentially it looks like Biden can beat Trump. But 
Biden loses by huge margins if you look up, say, him versus Nikki Haley. Well, so have you changed maybe? I'm the, I'm, if your goal I'm is the first one, Biden... I'm the first one to say that polls are polls. And what matters, what matters is the number of votes already, cast. But they've already had a matchup, right? So if your goal is to not have a President Biden, have you had a change of a heart and potentially endorsing someone that could beat Biden in a general? Well, first of all, I, I, I have been very clear. I will not endorse prior to, prior to the Virginia, prior to the, uh, Virginia primary. I'm going to let Virginians choose. And, and second of all, uh, I firmly believe that Americans, Republicans, independents, and a load of Democrats understand that we can't, as a nation, afford another four years of Joe Biden. Just look at what's happening. I mean, even compare it to, even compare it to the Trump presidency. Um, we have got international chaos, truly. War in the Middle East, war in Ukraine, uh, pending and, and saber-rattling and military aggression out of China like we didn't see. We, we see chaos at the border, true chaos at the border, and no one can deny this. It is, it is chaos in a humanitarian basis. It's chaos from a drug flow standpoint. It's chaos from a national security standpoint. We, we're watching our economy, and we're debating whether we're going to have a recession or not, because we now have interest rates we've never seen before because they've had to be raised in order to combat the inflation that he unleashed when everybody knew when you have unfettered spending to the degree that he did, we were going to unleash inflation. He didn't seem to recognize that. So we've got this massive reality and that Americans see. And I do believe that at the end of the day that the Republican candidate will be Joe Biden. And I think Americans, Americans will, will vote that way because they know that the weakness that he projects, the weakness that he projects around the world and at home has put America's future at risk. And we can't have this again. I mean, you cannot project that kind of weakness internationally. And, and, the, and the aggression that you see from our adversaries, from Iran, from Russia, from China, from North Korea, you, 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 this is an absolute result of a weak president and we can't have that again. Will you serve out your full term as governor? Yeah, I fully plan on serving out my full plan. year. I do. And Would you go into an administration if you were tapped as VP or cabinet? Well, I, again, I plan on serving out the next two years as governor. And, and I've been very clear that I'm focused on Virginia. We are, we're at halftime. I've served for two years. I've got two more years to go. Um, I'm term limited. And so I constantly am I'm, I'm under the uh, uh, impression that I've got to get eight years of work done in four years. Uh, we do it at an, an extra, extraordinary pace, and we have an urgency that, that I think brings the pace of business to the pace of government. And we've seen huge change in Virginia in two years, and that is with split government. We have had split government. We've gotten it done. I believe we can continue to get it done. And I look forward to demonstrating, not just to Virginians, but hopefully to the nation, that in split government, in a purple state where we have to really negotiate everything, we can do all of the things that we need to do in order to drive a winning Virginia. And that's what I look forward to demonstrating. So this, and, and final, because I know we're out of time, but this leads us then to 2028. And David Rubenstein asked you, how many people a day are coming up to you asking you to run for president? And you said, usually more than once. Is that still the case? Yeah, I am. Um, first of all, David asked me that more than once. Um, <laughs> and, now I'm asking. Yeah, now you're asking. And I am, I am flattered by the fact that there are, there are a number of people, uh, not just in Virginia, but around the country, who, who like what we're doing. 
and see that the, the approach that we have taken, which is to get grounded back into common sense, resonates. Even and, after the election, people, even, there's still momentum. Yes, and I, I think most people recognize that Virginia is purple. And we have, we have flip-flopped back and forth uh, on both, uh, both the General Assembly and in the governor's office um, between Republicans and Democrats. And I think the inspiring uh, moment for us is to demonstrate that with this divided government, um, with the necessity of negotiating with people from the other side of the aisle, which we did for the last two years, and we will demonstrate we will do for the next two years, I'm hoping that we can demonstrate it can be done on a national basis as well. So 2028. Well, I will serve as governor through 2026, and, uh, and I look forward to having a Virginia that wins. But for 2028. Will you run for president? <laughs> that is a long way away. Okay, so you're thinking about <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. And, and I, I, have to, I have to say that one of, one of the most enjoyable things is when um, someone very kindly comes up to my amazing wife, Suzanne, who is just an extraordinary partner and a great first lady, and says, um, what are you thinking about in the future? And she grabs me by the arm and walks me out the back door and says, we'll talk about that later. Um, and so if right. she were here, she would grab me by the arm and she would say, thank exactly. you so much for the You have to get today. the wife and the kids on board before you make big decisions. Governor go. Glenn Youngkin, thank you so much for your time. Great. Thank you so much thank for being here. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.